the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Grace and peace to you and welcome to Radio for Real Life with Sean Azaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. This is a church that exists to help people just like you. Find the real life you were created for and find it to the full. That's what Jesus promised in John 10.10. And today we continue in this series called The Elephant in the Family Room. Today's topic is on raising kids, which can be frustrating and discouraging as a parent, grandparent, or mentor. But it's never too late to lean into God's way of building children. Pastor Sean Azar will share some ideas on what the Bible has to say about being involved in raising awesome kids. Reallife.org has this full message, sermon notes, and series available for free. But if you feel led to bless this listener-supported radio ministry, then please do. There's a place to give at reallife.org. It's part two of the message called To Build a Person. Pastor Sean is teaching from Ephesians. It's time for Radio for Real Life. I remember as she starts to show and I start talking to the baby because she said that was a good thing. We read that in a book somewhere. Hello, I'm your father. Um, hi. I'm speaking to a bump in a belly, right? You know, hello. Um, I love you. I don't know you, but I love you. You know, so I'm, I'm talking to her. I'm doing all the stuff, but, but I, I don't yet know Lauren. We chose not to find out even boy or girl on our first one. So it's like, I don't even know who I'm talking to here. Well, we get to the hospital, you know, the whole hospital thing, and there's Five people in the room. There's Lori and I. There's a doctor, nurse, and Lori's mom was in with us. Five people in the room. And I remember the miracle of birth, which is unbelievable. It is unbelievable because what, what I remember distinctly kind of just being blown away by is there were five people in the room, and then one minute, and just in an instant, now there's six. There were five of us, but now there's six because Lauren's there. And they clean her up. They hand her to Lori, and they hand her to me, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh. And I, I have to tell you, and you, you parents know what, what this is like. I fell in love. Crazy, crazy love. And just in the first few weeks, I just, it was like, oh my gosh, I never knew it was possible to love someone like this. And she was very selfish. It was all about her. Me, me, I, I. My food, my diaper, blah, blah, blah. You know, but I still, I loved her so much. It was crazy. In fact, when with Ryan, our second, we did find out the gender beforehand through a sonogram. And when I found out I was a little boy, I was worried because I truly thought, I don't know if I'm going to be able to love him as much. But I thought, I will fake it for him. I will soldier on. I'm his dad. I, and for, since that time, I've been faking it for poor Ryan. <laughs> I'm kidding. You guys know what I'm, what I'm about to tell you, though, what, something that happens when they hand you that one and a whole new room in your heart opens up that you didn't know existed and you love that one every bit as much. It's like there was always, God always had a room in my heart that just was for Ryan. And I just fell in love with him. And, you know, so it was, that problem wasn't a problem. But I remember when we, when we, when we had Lauren and, and just all this love and everything, but I also remember when we got her home and it dawned on me, I just, I, I almost can remember the spot I was sitting where it's like, um, she lives here now. She's moved in, hasn't she? All her stuff is here. 
And no nurse is going to come in and take her and kind of do what they do. She's here. And so pretty much we're probably going to have to give her a room, right, in college and stuff. And it, just, it was that, that weight of saying, she's not going anywhere. I, we are in this, Lori and I are in this thing for the long haul. And, and that's the kind of vision we need to have for our kids. I think sometimes, I mean, we all know that, obviously, but I think sometimes we just think, well, yeah, we got the kids, and we'll feed them and stuff and take care of them and get them to school, and then they'll just be okay. And I want to suggest that's not how it's designed. That's not what bringing them up is all about. What is our vision for them? What were they created for? What's God's vision? What does a healthy, godly person look like? See, we're shaping a person in their entirety. Yes, we're dealing with their physical they're who they are as, as people with their bodies and taking care of them and teaching them about fitness and nutrition and all those things. And we're dealing with their, their intellectual, their mental skills and helping them grow that way. And even socially, their relationships, how they interact with people in the community. But we're also talking about people who are spiritual. And the part of them that's going to last forever is their spirit, the part that relates to God the Father. And so often, that's the part that we kind of put last And I want to suggest it's a terrible mistake. You see, parenting, bringing our child up, having a vision for them, is ultimately having that vision, communicating that vision, modeling that vision, and then transferring that vision to them, isn't it? Isn't it? So I I like to think of parenting as a kind of, you know, 20, 22-year process of gradually handing the reins of their lives over to them. So that they take each year a little bit more of the responsibility, the decision-making. They, they own the values a little more. They, they participate in the values a little more. To where about the time they're at that 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, somewhere in that, that where that, that kind of ta- transfer, they're doing it. And we're stepping back, and now we're the coach, we're the cheerleader, that counselor if they need one, if they come and they ask. But they're leading their life with the values that we got for them from God the Father that we modeled, that we trained in, and that we passed on to them. Uh, some parents think they're going to hover and they're going to control everything until their kids are, are like out of college and then they're just going to hand it over to them and it's going to go well. That's ridiculous. They need to be, even elementary school, certain things that they begin to own the values. They begin to help make process and make critical decisions. And they, they, but, but it's very limited because they're little, and we're, we're kind of ha- we still have those reins pretty heavily. But the older they get, the more of those reins they get, until about the right time, hopefully, God willing, God's strength and help, we take our hands off, and they get it. It's their values. They have the vision that God gave us for them, and that everything in their life is pointed to. See, this is your most important job. This is your most important contribution to the world. Bring your children up. It's a lifelong assignment Family business is a business, a building, people. Don't forget that. Second thing Paul talks to us about, train your children in the Lord. Do you you remember what he said? Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. I find it interesting that the word training was first. The New American Standard uses the word discipline before instruction. That training and discipline comes before instruction. Instruction is really important. We think of teaching, though, always it's just this mental kind of gathering of facts. I want to say there's this idea of putting into practice and training. That is critical. Train your children up in the Lord. I want to say there's two key foundational pieces that will help you do this. On your notes, there's a a blank, just two blanks on top of each other. I want you to, on the first blank, I want you to write the word love. 
And this is obvious. We understand love. We understand God's love, you know, unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. We get that. But I'm talking about the kind of love towards your kids that is obvious, sloppy love. You know what I mean when I say that? Love expressed, where they know you love them and you delight in them. You laugh at their jokes. You're like, but my kid's not funny. My granddaughter Rylan is in that place right now where she comes and she's making up jokes and, and, you know, she cracks herself up with those jokes. Oh, and she cracks pops up too. I laugh. Oh, man, that's really, really good. And then I go to Lori. I'm really worried about her, honey. I, I, I no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> but laugh at their jokes. Get into what they're into. Let them know you find them interesting, that you like them. You like them. You like hanging out with them. You're proud of them. And, and I know there are times, that doesn't mean that you're always kind of cheering on when they, you're certainly not cheering on when they do something bad. That doesn't mean that, that you don't tell them the truth. In fact, because I love them, if they do something, I go, yeah, that, that's, that's not how we handle that. Or, you know, you know, that's not the right way to handle that. I love them enough to tell them that. But let me tell you what's really good. When I can tell them that and it has no impact on how they think I love them. They know I'm telling them the truth because I love them and because I want them to win. See, just that love that just is just, man, I just love being with you. I'm in your team. I'm proud of you. That kind of love is a powerful foundation for the training. The other, and this is, I'm just telling you, Lori and I observed lots of parents. We made a habit of watching parents, and these two things kept coming to the top. At least as I recall, that, that I noticed. These, the consistent fact of these families, they loved their kids and it was obvious. And their kids knew it. They had fun together. They liked being with one another. The second word is discipline. Discipline. Clear, firm discipline. This combination of sloppy, obvious, expressed love and clear, firm discipline is a very hard combination to beat. This is an incredible combination for parenting. And let me just say a word about discipline. When I say discipline, okay, punishment looks back. Punishment says what you did was wrong and you deserve this and you're punished. Discipline looks forward. It might be the exact same consequence. It might be this, uh, uh, spanking, a uh, swat in the hand, a uh, uh, privilege lost, a uh, grounding, whatever it is. It could be the exact same thing. Discipline looks forward and is for the purpose of training. It says, it says, I want better for you. What you did was not good. It was not helpful. It was wrong. And here's why. And here's what the better fruit will yield. See, discipline is training. Punishment says what you did was wrong. And, and let me just say, in life, sometimes there's just punishment. But what we're talking about here is discipline, the training through kind of consequences, helping our child understand clear, firm discipline. Proverbs nineteen eighteen says this. Discipline your son. And look what it says. For in that there's hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. Do you understand what's at stake when it comes to discipline? What the Spirit is saying through the writer is that when you choose not to discipline, you are contributing to your child's destruction. It's not a game. Proverbs 29, 17 says, Discipline your son and he'll give you peace. He will bring delight to your soul. Discipline is a powerful force in the life of a child. You know, we talk about setting boundaries. I, I, we use the phrase, we use it in our home, and we use it even here at the church sometimes. We don't do that. We don't do that around here. So they understood these are the boundary 
posts. This is, and this is why, and we always explain the why, why that's not healthy or productive and why instead we're going to treat each other this way. Instead, we're going to respond this way, setting up boundaries. Now let's take a quick minute to remind you, you're listening to Radio for Real Life with Sean Azaro, a listener-supported ministry of River City Community Church in this message called To Build a Person, which is available right now on the sermon page at reallife.org. And there, if you're able to bless back, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue. Again, find the Give tab at reallife.org. And if you're looking for a new church home, here's your invitation from Pastor Sean. Do you ever look at your life and feel like you were made for something more? Jesus made a simple statement. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came to give you abundant life, real life. I talk to a lot of people, and many seem to feel like they're settling for a whole lot less. Hi, I'm Sean Azaro, pastor of River City Community Church, and we are so convinced that we were made for something better. We call ourselves a church for real life. I'd like to invite you to join us for one of our weekend gatherings, which are an exciting and artistic blend of music, reflection, and practical insights, all designed to explore the life that God meant for us. River City is located a mile and a half outside of Loop 1604 on Lookout Road across from Otama Park. Service times are Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 9.30 and 11.15 a.m. River City is a church for real life, so our home on the web is reallife.org. To find out more, visit us online at reallife.org. God created you for something very special. Come find out more at River City Community Church. And now the conclusion to the message to build a person. This is Radio for Real Life. Lori did uh, something. I remember coming home one day, and she told me something she had done, and I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Um, our two kids are obviously very similar, very different, right? Um, I'm not a terribly emotive person by nature. I'm kind of emotionally kind of pretty steady. Lauren's kind of like that. Uh, Lori's much more passionate and emotional in her response. And Ryan's a little bit more like that. And that's a very powerful, strong quality. That is a, a really good quality. But, of course, as a little kid, Ryan really struggled with controlling those emotions. I mean, he'd get mad at something. He would get mad and want to, you know, kind of hit something and, just express those emotions, or he'd be sad, and it would be this kind of big reaction. And so Lori kind of affirmed him in that, that passion and that those emotions. are said, but, but that response, you can't throw a fit. Okay, you can't just throw it out. You can't kick things. You can't hit things. She said, what you can do, five minutes you can go into your bed, in your bedroom, and you can express that however you want, on your pillow, on the bed. And, and, and he would. He would go, and he'd hit it, he'd yell, and he'd, oh, and he'd get those emotions out. And then she'd go in and talk to him, and he'd feel much better. She affirmed the strength of his emotions and passions while giving boundaries on how those are expressed in a healthy way. I don't know if she read that somewhere. I don't know if she just came up with that. I'm like, that's awesome. I thought that was, that was pretty powerful. And I remember what she told me. And, and the, the result on Ryan was fantastic. Because he was affirmed in, he's a passionate person. That's a good thing. But he was also taught how to channel that in a healthy way. And I think we can do that with all kinds of things. Boundaries, that's what discipline is about. It sets up these boundaries. Remember, we're wanting to teach obedience and respect. See, one of the things that we have to teach our kids is that they are not the center of the universe. And this starts really, really young. Babies and toddlers. See, when we discipline, we build into them a teachable spirit. We build into them a healthy humility. 
that says, I'm not the center of the universe. And you have no idea how much of this is developed, like before they're two years old. They begin to have this sense of, of their place in the world and how they interact with other people. And if they're never told no, they're never disciplined. And you know what I'm talking about. Anybody who's a parent knows that you're one and a half year old. You tell them no, and you can see when they understand. Yes, mommy said no. And then you can see when they go and they do it anyway, and they look at you. That's when you take that little hand and you swat it. We say no, and they learn, oh my gosh, I'm not the center of the universe. There is a God, and it's not me. And this is really important to understand that at those early ages, they begin to figure this stuff out. And I know we get into the whole conversation about spanking or not spanking. I want to tell you, we spanked, when they, especially when they were young. When they were young, we spanked. And, and, we're, and, and understand something. We're not talking about being angry and hitting your kids. I think that's, that's wrong. That's violence. And I think that's wrong. But measured discipline for especially a smaller child because they, they don't understand the more complexities, the bigger complexities of some consequences. As they get older, life will present consequences and, and it becomes, you use those consequences to discipline. But there is that time, even when they're very, very little, of teaching them they're not the boss. And so we did, and never with the intent to hurt, never with the intent any of that. But understand something, if they think they're the center of the universe at three years old, by the time they get to three, it becomes really hard to convince them otherwise. And it's a painful process. The older they get, the more painful. They get to six, seven, eight, and still, never been told no. Anything I say goes. Now you're talking about a little hellion that people don't want to be around. They get to 12, 13, 14. Now big problems begin to develop. You go much past that, look what happens in law school. That's what it looks like. Discipline at each stage becomes harder. They're living under this delusion that I'm the center of the universe. And let me tell you something. If you don't discipline your child now, oh, no, no, uh, we, we don't say no, we just redirect. No, no, we never have spanked, and we never say no, and we never. If you don't discipline your, your child now, one day there are people who will, okay? They're called police and judges, they will discipline your child for you. And they'll use lots of timeouts in places designed for timeout. They're called prisons. Let me tell you, if they don't behave when they're there in timeout, there'll be lots of corporal punishment. And it'll hurt a lot worse than a few spankings. See, tasings hurt more than spankings. In fact, I'm going to make a t-shirt with that. By the way, I've copyrighted that. Don't get any ideas. Tasing hurts worse than spanking. I think that should be a parenting shirt. It's interesting, this morning, a cool coincidence, in my Bible reading, I was at Matthew 18. And that's the passage where Jesus said, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. Rather than, because he says it's better to go into life, heaven maimed, than to go into hell and fire completely whole. Remember, he says also the foot, the eye, same thing. You're like, wow, that's pretty crazy radical. And what he's saying is, yeah, physical hurt isn't the worst hurt. There's lots bigger. See, parents that love discipline. Discipline is difficult. Discipline is hard. But parents that love discipline, Hebrews 12, 7 and 8, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? Look at the tone that the writer of Hebrews takes. What son is not disciplined by his father? If you're not disciplined, and he goes on, everyone undergoes discipline. It's like it's assumed. Like, duh. 
Who wouldn't discipline their child? If you're not disciplined, then you're illegitimate children and you're not true sons. He would be stunned and shocked to think that there are people who think it's wrong to discipline their child. He'd be like, not disciplining your child is child abuse. Not disciplining your child is child abuse. And just because it's easier for us not to have to mess with it, or just because some whack job pop psychologist gives us an excuse by writing some theory, you know what? I'll believe that guy. I want to see his kids. That's what I want to see. When, when pop culture starts creating kids that are really well-adjusted and kind people and really able to interact and good in relationships and their families are going great, when that starts to happen, then I'll believe them. Until then, please be quiet and let me get on with raising biblical children. Because there's something about this. That, this, is, this, is, this matters. Our kids are at stake. The family business is the business of building people. Last thing. He says, instruct your children, raise them up, train them, and instruct them in the Lord. Remember what he said to Abraham, about Abraham, I've chosen him so he'll direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he's promised him. That's what he planned. I love this passage, Deuteronomy 6, 6 or 9. This is how it's supposed to look in families. It says, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your, your houses and on your gates. If you were here today, he would, say, he, he would say, talk about them when you're driving in the car. Put them on the refrigerator. You know, have them as your screensaver. These just the things of God. They need to be normal. It's not just about taking them to church, although I think taking them to church is a really good thing to do. And some would argue I'm preaching to the choir right now. Well, that's okay. You know people who don't. Tell them for me, all right? Pass it on. But, I, but I've had some people say, but I brought them to church. I brought them to church, and my kids want no part of it. What happened? Well, what did your conversation and behavior teach them about the things of God? Teach them about following Jesus. Teach them about the church. See, discipleship starts at home. Remember what we said about discipleship? Discipleship is listening for God's voice and doing what he says. That's what, how we follow Jesus today. We listen for his voice and we do what he says. Our kids should learn in our homes to listen to God's voice. That should be normal. What does God say about it? Let's look at his word. And then to do what he says. Well, if God says it, we're going to do it because he loves us. He's God. He knows what's best. We're going to do it. And see, instruction is really good and important. But example is even more so. You know, they say more is caught than taught. Well, that's what they're talking about. They, they ultimately will become what we are. And this is one of those things where, as a pastor, it just breaks my heart. And I watch families make grave mistakes. And I've been doing this long enough now to watch some of those seeds that were sown begin to produce a bad harvest. Parents who make everything else a priority. See, one of the biggest questions is what's first, what's most important, and what is non-negotiable? And I can't tell you how many people, the thing that is always negotiable, it can always be pushed aside, is involvement here at church, biblical training, youth group, community here at church. Yeah, but my kid, you know, they're, they're going to be a professional basketball player. And so I, it, that's why I have to do this. And I'm like, dude, you're 5'7", your wife's 5'5". Five five. <laughs> what your kid needs is a new gene pool, okay? That's what your kid needs, all right, to be a professional basketball player. He's probably not, unless you've got some really tall people back in the family somewhere. It's not going to happen. But you're selling your souls. You're selling everything. Oh, but we've got to be in this tournament. We've got to be on this AAU team. We've got to be in this. We've got to do that. 
Or they got to, oh my gosh, my kid's going to be a brilliant musician and they're going to do this, they're going to do this. And so I sell everything at the altar of that skill, that performance that I'm trying to raise them up because that's the ultimate. If they can be a pro athlete, a pro musician, an incredible academic, a great successful business person, that's it. That's the priority. It's like, are, are you really serious about that? See, these decisions we make when they're kids affect everything. They become what they see, and it impacts their education, their work, their relationships, dating, marriage, career, choices, all of it. This is how we see the world. And as parents, we have to help our kids see the world. Man, if your kid's a gifted athlete, and that's something that they have a potential college career, and you want to make that important, great. It should not be as important as the things of God. If it is, and I can't tell how many people, I said, well, I took them to church when we could. But there were tournaments on the weekend, and we had practices during the week. And so I took them to church when I could. And I don't understand why now that they're adults, they don't want to go to church at all, and they don't think it's important, and they have no, want nothing to do with it. I mean, I don't mean to be mean, but, gee, I wonder what happened. We were created by God for something bigger. And, and you want to, if your kid is destined to be a professional athlete, you want them to do well and become a person who's well-adjusted and makes a difference in the world because of the opportunities and the resources they've been given, then raise them up as a follower of Jesus. Let them be an athlete who follows Jesus. And watch the difference. Watch the difference between them, because that is a hard world. Any world where there's fame, resources, and people kind of chanting your name and clapping, that's a tough place. That's hard on your character. You need a relationship with Jesus to even survive that. Business, the arts, academics, whatever. Raise your kids to follow Jesus and watch what happens. It makes all the difference in the world. We want them to align with God's purpose. We want them to be, be fulfilled in Him. All this other stuff is just the wrapping. The gift is His presence. It's how we see the world. See, the family business is the business of building people. That's Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Radio for Real Life. And if you'd like to hear this full message in the series, The Elephant in the Family Room, It's available right now on demand at reallife.org. And there, if you're able to bless back, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue. Again, look for the Give tab at reallife.org. But of course, you're invited to visit and join us at River City Community Church, located on Lookout Road right behind Rotama Park, with service times on Saturday nights at 5, and Sunday mornings at 9.30 and 11.15. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210-490-5262. Radio for Real Life is a ministry of River City Community Church. We hope you join us again next time for more Real Life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.